All right, good morning, Central Church. How are you? Wow, that was really enthusiastic. I want to try it again. Good to see you guys this morning. If you're watching us online this morning, uh, Facebook Live or our website, we're so glad you're joining us today. If you're out in the concourse, wherever you're joining us, God bless you. It's great to see everyone here live worshiping. Just, just a couple of quick announcements before I launch into the message today. First of all, I just want to give a shout out to our parking lot team, working hard out in the sun. Um, yeah. And for you guys, for your patience uh, in this summer of upheaval and transition, uh, we're really trying to get things ready at a foundational level to uh, begin to do some expansion here on our campus and parking lots, uh, one of those unnecessary, or, uh, necessary evils that we have to deal with. So thank you for your patience with that. Second thing is obvious. I don't even think I really need to announce this, but I don't know if the protesters were still out on the sidewalk when you guys came in today or not, but they, they are not part of Central Church, uh, nor are they protesting against Central Church. Uh, so just wanted to communicate that. Are they still out there, by the way? Oh, they're not out there anymore. Okay then just ignore everything I just said. <laughs> um, and today is, is our, the Sunday we're going to receive a benevolent offering. At the end of the service, <clears throat> ushers will be at the doors. The money we collect just goes to help individuals and families in our church and outside of our church that just need some financial help. You, you may have been benefited by our benevolent fund at some point, and you know the, the blessing that that can be. So anything you can put in there would be awesome. Thanks. Let's pray. God, this morning we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to lead us and to teach us in the scriptures. And so, uh, Lord, now we pause and ask for the influence of your spirit, the influence of grace on our minds and on our hearts to, to understand what you're saying, uh, to have the courage to put it into practice. And so, Lord, we, we love you this morning and thank you for your presence here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we are continuing this series called That's a Great Question. And there's a threefold purpose to this series. First, uh, we're, we're covering like hot cultural topics or, or key biblical themes to help you grow deeper in your faith. That, that's the first goal. Second goal is that as you grow deeper in your faith, you become more confident to step into spiritual conversations with people in your relational world or your oikos. So you feel more equipped to talk about these things. And third, we know there are people that attend Central Church that have not yet crossed the line of faith. You, you've not yet put your trust in Christ for salvation. Our hope is that through these messages, you might take one step closer to full surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's our prayer. So thanks for being here today. Um, I feel like every time, every week that I'm preparing for a message, I run into somebody during the week that's dealing with the exact thing that I'm gonna be preaching on. And this week it happened again. My wife and I were, ran, ran into Hy-Vee on Friday night to pick something up. And I ran into an old friend, a guy that I used to see at the gym. And we were catching up and talking about what was going on. And I just asked him, how's your job? And he goes, I'm really glad you asked me that. Job's going great, I love it, I, I'm very fulfilled, but I got another offer. I got another opportunity and I, I'm just wrestling with, with what I should do. And here's what he said. He said, I, I want to know what God wants me to do. I just want to know what God wants me to do. And that's where you are today. There, there's some issue in your life that you need direction on. There's some issue that you're asking that question, God, what do you want me to do? And Shirlene and I, right there in the store on the juice aisle, we just stopped and said, we're going to pray for him. We laid our hands on him in, in the aisle and just started praying that God would direct and guide and, and show him exactly what God wanted him to do. So some questions to think about. If being a Christian means 
having a personal relationship with God, does that mean God talks to us? Is prayer supposed to be a one-way conversation or a dialogue? And, and which better describes your prayer life? A one-way conversation or a dialogue? And, and even if God does talk to us, how do we know that it's God speaking to us and not our own thoughts? Is there any way we can discern that? Is there any way that we can, that we can recognize that? Gary Friesen in 1980 wrote a book called um, um, Decision Making and the Will of God. Decision Making and the Will of God. And in that book, he suggests that God doesn't have one school that we're supposed to attend or one person that we're supposed to marry or one job that we're supposed to take or one truck that we're supposed to buy. Instead, God's given us the Bible. And the Bible is filled with principles of truth and wisdom. And God doesn't have one choice that we're supposed to make in life. Rather, he just wants us to make the responsible decision because he's given us the Bible. Well, is that really true? I don't believe that it is. Because I believe that who you marry is really important and God wants to direct that decision. I believe that the career that you take or the job that you take, God ha should have something to do with that. And, um, you, you know, decision about major purchases or whatever, I, I think God wants to direct that. Here's why. If not, then we have a personal relationship with the Bible, but we don't have a personal relationship with the living God. A, a living God that cares about us and cares about the daily decisions that affect our life because the decisions you make now are affecting your destiny. Some of those decisions could affect the rest of your life. And I believe that God does have an individual plan, that God does want to direct the individual decisions that we make that are important in life. I love what um, Dallas Willard says in his book, Hearing God. He says, as disciples of Jesus Christ, I believe we cannot abandon faith in our ability to hear from God. To abandon this, what is this? Our ability to hear God's voice. To abandon this is to abandon the reality of a personal relationship with God. And that we must not do. Excuse me. Our hearts and our minds, as well as the realities of the Christian tradition, stand against that. It. What is it? The idea that God doesn't speak to us, the idea that God isn't involved in the daily decisions of our life, the, the, the idea that, that God's given us the Bible, but we don't need anything beyond that. So the question that we're going to answer today is this. What does the Bible say about hearing God's voice? What does the Bible say about hearing God's voice? And, and the first thing I want to share this morning, if you're taking notes, is this. God is conversational by nature. God is conversational by nature. So when we, when we read through the Bible, here's what we find. The, the Bible gives us a number of metaphors or word pictures that describe God in relationship to his people. And in every one of those roles that we see in scripture, it requires constant communication. Let me give you an example. The first is that in, in the Bible, it says that God is our father. God is our father. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter six, verse nine says, when you pray, pray this way, our father 
in heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, heaven, hallowed be your name. <clears throat> Raise your hand if you're a dad. Just put your hand up. You, you, have, you have a responsibility. Uh, you, have, you have a responsibility to communicate and to teach your kids, right? Hold on just a sec. I'm on point two. Forget everything I just said. All right. God is conversational by nature. Every parent, when their kids are born, you start talking to them. <clears throat> now, Shirlene and I, we started talking before our kids were born, when she, they were still in her mom's belly. We, we would, because studies have, have indicated that uh, children recognize familiar voices once they're born, like the voice of the mom. They, they recognize that. They gravitate to if the dad's around and speaking. So uh, we, we wanted to make sure they knew who we were. And so we would, we would talk to them while they were still in the belly. We, we'd say, we, we love you and, and we're praying for you and God has a plan for your life. And we would pray over them and just speak words of love and kindness to them. But for sure, when they're born, every one of us, when our kids are born, we start talking to them, you know? And, and the, the, the language changes, doesn't it? Because we just had a little grandson, Mason, born. He's almost a year old now when he was born. Mason, you're so good. Smile at Papa. Like, I have a 14-year-old grandson. I don't say that to him. I, I don't treat him like that. Because it changes, right? Our, our, our communication changes. But as soon as they're born, we begin to speak to them. We, we, we share our love with them. We, we declare how, how great they are and how wonderful they are, right? It's no different with God. It's no different with God. As soon as he created Adam and Eve, he began to speak to them. Genesis chapter one. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed Adam and Eve and said or spoke to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. He creates Adam and Eve. Immediately, he begins to instruct them. He begins to tell them what they're supposed to do. In Genesis chapter 2, he begins to warn them. He tells them which trees in the garden they can eat and which tree they can't eat from. Well, they, they make the mistake and they, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sin against God. So in chapter three, he confronts them with their sin. They were hiding from God in the garden. So God pursues them and continues the conversation with them and, and eventually clothes them and redeems them from that sin. But God, he, he warns them and then he confronts them with the sin. Then in Genesis chapter four, as we, as we march through the Bible, we see God continually in conversation with people. Now this is second generation. This is Cain and his brother Abel. So here's what we read in Genesis chapter four. God says to Cain, why are you so angry? He asked him. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. So here he's given Cain guidance and counsel. So it's not just Adam and Eve now, but it's the next generation. And what we see in the Bible is through all generations, God continues to speak to people because he is by nature conversational. But here's our problem. When we see God speaking to people in the Bible, we think they were different from us. Somehow they were morally better than us or God's favorites or something like that. And we, we can't imagine that God would speak to us in the same way that he spoke to them. Because, because somehow they're morally better. You ever done background checks on the people in the Bible? <laughs> like, like Moses the murderer? 
or David, the, the murderer and the adulterer, or Abraham, the liar, or Cain that we just read about, the murderer who just murdered his brother. Sin didn't seem to prevent God from speaking to people in the Bible, and sin doesn't prevent God from speaking to you. Through, through every generation, every book of the Bible, we see God continually speaking to people. And so I would suggest as we start this morning, it's God's intention to talk to you because his very nature is conversational. The second point I want to make is this. God is responsible to lead us. It's God's responsibility. And that's where I was going with what I was sharing before. As we look at scripture, there's all these word pictures of God in relation to his people. And I mentioned the first was God as a father. So now fathers, raise your hand. If you're a dad, you have a responsibility with your children. You are to teach them. You are to counsel them. You are to correct them. You are to warn them. Dad, if the day hasn't come already, depending on the age of your child, you're going to have to talk about the birds and the bees. You're going to have to have a talk with them about alcohol and drug use. You're going to have to have a talk with them about relationships. They're going to get old enough to date. You're going to have to give some counsel. You're going to have to lead them. You can't do that without talking. You have to communicate openly. If you're, if you're a person of color, you may have to give your teenage son the, the talk about handle, how to handle themselves around law enforcement. There's a lot of conversations that fathers need to have. And God is the same. He is our father. So he teaches, he guides, he corrects, he warns, he leads. So just like an earthly father, God is a father to us that communicates those things. Number two, scripture says God is our husband. Isaiah 54, 5 says, for your maker, your creator is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. Raise your hand if you're a husband. Now, I had a husband last service, didn't raise his hand, and his wife's sitting right. So, what, are you embarrassed to be her, her husband? Like, come on, what's going on? Some, some of you guys didn't raise. Raise your hand if you're a husband. I want to get you in trouble. Thank you. All right. So husbands, we have a responsibility to love and to lead our wives. We have to communicate love to them. We have to tell them how much we love them. That's part of the responsibility of a husband in terms of his leadership. It's not good enough to say, I told you I love you when we were married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. That, that's not good enough. They, they want to sit across the table. Ladies, am I right? You want to hear your man say how beautiful you are. You want your man to tell you how much he loves you, what he appreciates about you. I'll, I'll tell Shirlene sometimes, man, you know, I love you or I appreciate you. And she'll say, why? Because she wants to pull more out of me. It's like, that's not good enough. Tell me why you love me. Tell me why you appreciate me. And, and I'll have to get, the list is long. You know, believe me, like really long. So, um, they, they want to hear that they're unique. They, they, they want to hear that, that, that uh, they're special, that they're beautiful, that how much you care about them because you're their husband and you, you lovingly and tenderly lead them by how you communicate to them. And God is no different. All of us need to hear regularly the love of God for us, how, how unique we are, how God loves us as, as individuals, how special we are, how beautiful we are, how, how much God delights in us. We need to hear that regularly. God is pictured in scripture as a husband who communicates those things to his bride. The third thing scripture says is God is a shepherd. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want, I have everything 
that I need. Shepherds guide, Middle Eastern shepherds guided their sheep both by word and by touch. They, they, their rod and their staff they used to touch the sheep and to give some direction to the sheep. But it also says that shepherds guided sheep by their words. In fact, Middle Eastern shepherds gave all of the sheep under their care individual names. That's why Jesus said when, when the shepherd goes into the, to the, to the sheepfold, he calls his sheep by name and they follow him because he has this individual relationship with them. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They, they know my voice and they follow me. God is a father who teaches, instructs, guides, warns, and helps his children. God is a husband who speaks words of love and speaks tenderly and helps us understand our value. And God is a shepherd that leads and guides us individually. He gives us a name and he calls us forth to follow him. It's God's responsibility to lead us because he's the father, he's the husband, and he's the shepherd. It's not our responsibility to make God speak. It's God's responsibility to speak to us. The second thing is God promises throughout Scripture to guide us. He promises to talk to us in Scripture. Here's what he says. In Psalm 32, 8, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Remember I said, some of you are asking that question, God, God where, where do you want me to go? God says, I'll teach you, I'll instruct you in the way that you should go. But then he says this, I will guide you with my eye or my eye upon you. And what that means is God looks down and God sees you and God knows everything about you and God knows not only everything that's going on now, God knows everything that's coming down the road. And so God wants you to make a decision now that's gonna benefit you in the future. He, he wants you to make the right decision about marriage. He wants you to make the right decision about a career. He wants you to make the right decision about relationships because those are going to affect you. So he counsels you with his eye on you now, but with an eye to the future. Isn't that a good God? Yeah. He promises to lead you and guide you. Another scripture. Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or you turn to the left, that's a picture of being on a journey, on a path, and, and, and you're gonna turn to the left or you're gonna turn to the right, and, and God says, I will speak to you. You'll hear your teacher, you'll hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. You don't think God is concerned about the details of your life? You don't think God is concerned about the major decisions you have? He just said, I will talk to you. You will hear my voice saying, this way when you come to a crossroads. When it's, do I go to this college or do I go to that college? I believe God will speak to you his purpose and his plan if you're patient and willing to, to lean your ear in and listen to him. It would be totally against God's nature to not speak to you from what we just read. That would be saying God's not a father, God's not a shepherd, God's not a husband, and God's not true to his word. Because throughout the Bible, God promises to lead us and to guide us. Great scripture in Psalm, Psalm 94. He says, he who formed the human eye, does he not see? God who created us with the ability to see, does God not see? Of course, the answer is no, God does see. Then he says, he who forms the human ear, does God not hear? He gave you the ability to hear, but does God not hear? Wait a second. 
We were created in the very image and likeness of God. He creates us with certain abilities that reflect who he is. We can see, God can see, God can hear, God can feel, God can talk, God can communicate, just like we can. Let me take that a step further. So, so he who created us as social beings, is he not social? Shirlene and I went to St. Louis uh, last week and uh, my daughter and her family took us along the Mississippi River to a little town called Grafton. Anybody been to Grafton, Illinois? Look at that. No, you haven't. You were lying. Oh, yeah, Minnesota. And that's pretty far away. Just kidding, Kat. All right. So cool little river town, restaurant, live band. There's a bar and there's tables and pe people are just, it's just buzzing. It's just happening. People interacting, fam whole families together, like eight to 10 people at a table outside. The weather's beautiful because why? We were created to engage with other people. God created, Starbucks got it right. I mean, their coffee's okay, but they realized people want space to connect with each other. So, so they open their restaurants, they serve coffee, and we go in there and we just communicate and engage socially because we are social beings because God created us that way. Is God not the same way? Does God not want to have a personal relationship with you? Does God not want to sit at a table with you and engage with you? Of course he does. He, he created you with that desire because that's his desire. Did you know that God is in constant community with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? They are constantly in fellowship and relationship with one another. And he created us with that same need, the same need to be connected to friends and family and people that we can know and can know us. So why do you think God doesn't want to connect with you? God doesn't want to engage with you when he created you that way because he's that way. The third thing is this, Jesus is our example of hearing God's voice. Jesus is our example of hearing God's voice. So when Jesus was in heaven, he did not have a flesh and blood body. When Jesus was born into the world called the incarnation, Jesus took a body on himself. But, but he was still fully God, fully God, 100% God, 100% man. The theological term is the hypostatic union all God, all man. We can't understand that. How can you be all God, but all man? But he was. But when Jesus came and was born into the world as a human, he did something. He laid aside his divine privilege or his God power. And he came into the world because he had to identify with us in every single way in order to be a substitute for us. In order to die on the cross for us, he had to be like us in every way which meant that he had to lay his divine powers aside and he had to walk through this life, journey through life, totally dependent on God the Father and the Holy Spirit to lead him. He couldn't use his God powers. He couldn't whip them up whenever he got into a tough situation because he knew you were coming along and I was coming along and we weren't God and we couldn't snap our fingers and make things happen. So he had to fully identify with us. So he became human and laid aside his divine privilege. Here's what Jesus says about himself. Uh, John chapter five, verses 19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son, Jesus talking about himself, the son of God can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him everything that he does. Jesus says, I can only do what I see the Father doing. Now, that word see in the Greek 
most of the time in the New Testament means to naturally see, to see with the natural eye, right? To see physical things. But it also means to discern mentally. It also means to perceive. In other words, not to see with the natural eye, but to see with the eyes of the heart, to understand something. And Jesus is saying the Father shows him, not just naturally, but inwardly. There's a spiritual perception. I believe God spoke clearly to Jesus in terms of what he was doing and what he wanted Jesus to participate in. And the same is true with us. Jesus says, if I lived that way, if I lived as all of you are supposed to live, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit so that you can live the same way that I did. Here's what he said. 1 John chapter two. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. If you're a Christian, you can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. So when you surrender your life to Christ, your sins are forgiven and the, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. So John says, you've received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what's true. Think about that for a second. Pastors are helpful. Teachers of God's word are helpful. John says, you really don't need them to know what's right. You really don't need them to know what's true because you have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to you God's truth. He goes on. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as he's taught you, remain in close fellowship with Christ. How many of you approach your life from the perspective of that verse? That you need to be so in tune with the Spirit of God that he's actually going to lead you and teach you in what's right. He's going he's gonna to teach you everything that you need to know. Do you, do you walk in that kind of dependence on the Holy Spirit? Jesus was our example. He lived that way. He laid aside his God privilege and he lived as a human completely under the influence and guidance of God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Then he sends the Holy Spirit to give us the power to live in the same way that Jesus did, to, to see and understand what God's doing, to know what God has for our life. That's a pretty powerful verse. I like what Henry and Richard Blackaby say about this in their book, um, Hearing God's Voice. They say, Jesus, the ultimate model for the Christian life, did not rely on his own best thinking, but depended completely on his heavenly Father for wisdom in everything. The sinless Son of God, the only person who perfectly fulfilled the Father's will, did not make decisions independently of the Heavenly Father's personal direction. It seems absurd to think that anyone else should try. That, that convicts me. Like if, if Jesus lived in this, this dependence on the Father as he walked, why do I think that I'm smart enough? Why do I think I'm wise enough? Why do I think that I have, you know, by myself, without God, everything that I need in life, if Jesus didn't live that way? So my responsibility is to, is to trust God and to learn from God and to walk in a daily, excuse me, relationship, an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit in life. Last point this morning. God has an inside voice and an outside voice. God has both an inside voice and an outside voice. What I mean by that is, is God speaks to us both inwardly and outwardly. 
And when he speaks to us inwardly, the Bible says he does so with a whisper. When, when God uses his inside voice, it's a whisper. <clears throat> Have you ever heard anyone say, today we're going to use our inside voice? You ever heard anybody say that? Mom ever say that? Today, when we go to their house, you need to use your inside voice. Hey, kids, we're going to the library today, so we're going to use our inside voice. This isn't your inside voice. That's your outside voice. We need to know the difference. And, and, and in the prophet Elijah's life, God shows him that when he speaks, it's in a whisper. So here we go. First Kings chapter 19, story of Elijah. God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told Elijah. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. In other words, the Lord was present. The Lord was right there with Elijah. And it says that as the Lord passed by, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. Now in the Hebrew, it says that was in South Dakota, that that was, that that was actually happening. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. <clears throat> and after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Yeah. God was using which voice? His inside voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, when the text says that there was a, a windstorm and there was an earthquake and there was a fire, but God wasn't in it, what does that mean? It means that in that moment, God was not speaking to Elijah through those things. Now, there are times when God does speak through the fire when God does speak through the windstorm and God does speak through the earthquake, but that's his outside voice, it's really loud. In this case, he didn't speak through any of his outside voices. He spoke with his inside voice, a whisper. Mark Batterson in his book, Whisper, describes what a whisper really is. He says, when someone speaks in a whisper, you have to get very close to hear. In fact, you have to put your ear near the person's mouth. We, we lean forward to hear a whisper, and that's what God wants. This still, small voice, this gentle whisper that God wants to speak to us, we have to lean in. We have to, to put our ear near his mouth. We, we have to be intentional about hearing this inside voice of God. Which is why Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, when you pray, when you pray, go into the inner room, go into your inner room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Shut the door. What are you shutting out? All the noises, all the, the competing noises and distractions that will keep you from hearing the whisper. Okay, shut it all out. Jesus says, do you want to hear that voice? Then it's not going to be louder. So you know what? Your phone is louder than the whisper. Don't take your phone in the inner room. Because it's going to go. 
I don't care how strong you are, you're going to pick it up because you want to know who wants to get a hold of you right then. Who wants to talk? I'm a big, I'm a big deal. Who is it that's trying to get a hold of me? And God's saying, I want to be the only voice you're concerned about right now. Don't take your phone into the inner room. Don't, don't take your phone into the, into the quiet place with you. Which is why it says of Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew into solitary places, desolate places, into the wilderness, away from the crowd, away from the disciples, away from the noise, so he could hear the whisper of his father in that gentle, still, small voice. So, so don't, don't bring your phone in. Don't bring your computer in. Don't turn the TV on in the background because all of those things will suck you in to their noise. Moms, keep your kids outside the inner room if, if it's at all possible. That's what, that's what bandages and first aids are for when you leave them by themselves and you're in the inner room praying to God. They'll manage, depending on how old they are. But, but you're, to, you're to seclude yourself. You're to silence. D David said this in, in, in Psalm 62, verses one and five. David said, my soul waits in silence for God alone. And David was the king. He was a busy guy. He had a lot of people that, that he attended to and that attended to him. There's a lot of bustle and noise in his life. He says, my soul waits in silence. He found a secluded place for from him comes my salvation. What if your salvation, not your salvation from sin, but your salvation in life, what, what if the, the, the answers to the questions that you have in life that you're wrestling with right now that need the answer, what if you approach this as, my answer's coming from God alone. I better separate myself. I better, I better quiet my heart. I better silence myself. And then he says to his soul, my soul, wait in silence for God alone, for my hope comes from him. So, so friends, we are, to, we are to go into the secret place, the, the quiet place, because when God speaks to us on the inside, he uses his inside voice. All right, so what, is, what does the whisper sound like? When God speaks to us in a whisper, what does it sound like? Uh, the first thing is, it's always in our language, your individual language. So it, do you speak English? It's going to be in English. It's not going to be in Spanish or French. He's going to speak in your language. He's all, it's also going to be in the language that you use, your vocabulary, the, the way you put sentences together. It's going to be in the, the language that you speak. How do I know that? Because when the disciples of Jesus wrote the New Testament, it, it says that the Holy Spirit inspired them or guided their writing. But when you look at their individual writings, when you look at it in Greek, they're totally different. John writes totally different than Paul. Paul writes totally different than James. James writes totally different than Peter. There wasn't just one voice of the Holy Spirit that everybody had to just listen to. He spoke to them according to their own vocabulary. He, he spoke, God speaks to us in a way that we understand. God sometimes addresses me as wheels. He does. Wheels, wheels, what are you doing? God sometimes calls me dude, because I, I call people dude. I hear, dude, stop it. Dude, what are you doing? I, I hear that voice saying, what, 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 what? because he's talking to me in a language that I would understand. And he's going to talk to you in, in a language with words and vocabulary that you would use. I mean, that's how the Holy Spirit speaks individually to us. Sometimes when the, the, we hear the whisper of God, it's in the form of a scripture verse. Sometimes the Lord will just, just bring to our mind or to our heart a scripture verse. 
Sometimes when we're reading scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit will, will, will help us understand the meaning of that passage of scripture. Sometimes he helps us with the application. He shows us what he wants to do with that. As you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will speak. So you need to have your ears attentive. He always speaks within the, the, the moral truth of Scripture. He, he, he never contradicts the Word of God, the written Word of God. God will never say, why don't you go ahead and commit adultery? He'll never say, go ahead and cheat on that test. God will never say, you know, go ahead and, and, uh, and get drunk. I know you had a hard week. Go, go ahead and overdrink. He'll never tell you to do something that isn't consistent with his moral truth revealed in Scripture. So you can never do something and say, God told me to do something that you don't see in the Bible. God will never contradict himself. The inward voice of the Spirit is always in rhythm and unity with the external uh, words of, of Scripture. Uh, num num number four, his, his words shine his truth on the most pressing and sensitive issues in our life. In other words, I started by saying, well, what, what are you asking God about right now? What's the issue in your life right now that's troubling you or bringing anxiety or worry or distress into your life? That's what God wants to address. There's a great scripture in Proverbs 20, 27. I'm gonna read it in three different translations to help you get a full picture of it. The, the first one says, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all of his innermost parts. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of man is that part of us that, that understands everything about us, our deepest thoughts, our deepest fears, the, the things that, that make us anxious, are the desires of our heart, our dreams, everything within our deepest secret places, that's represented in that phrase, the spirit of man. The next translation says, the lamp of the Lord looks deep inside people and searches through their thoughts. So you've got these thoughts you're wrestling with the Spirit of God, the lamp of the Lord comes into that and he begins to shine his light or his truth on those thoughts. In other words, he begins to help you see that situation in your life from a divine perspective. He begins to give his light to your thoughts. The third translation says, the spirit of a person is the lamp of the Lord. It lights up what is deep down inside of them. So God wants to address these significant issues in your life. He wants to, the, the, the spirit of man is like the lamp of the Lord. Man, he's looking at the innermost places, the things that you're thinking about, the things that you're wrestling with, that, that you won't tell anybody else. Maybe things that are causing you shame or grief. God wants to get into that place and, and his light begins to give you his perspective if you just wait and listen to him. A final thought. When God speaks to us, how do we know if it's not our voice versus God's voice? It usually comes with a weight, a weight of God's authority, a weight of God's truth. And when we feel that weight, it kind of brings peace. It's like, this isn't my voice. This, this is a voice from outside of myself. And there's an authority to it. Remember when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. There's a weightedness to it, that this is the truth of, you, you know that you know. You just know that this is God speaking. 13 years ago, I was interviewing. I just started the interview process for this position <clears throat> as lead pastor. I was walking out, out my apartment door one day and, and I heard a voice say, they're gonna offer you the job. And I honestly turned to the Lord and, and I said, why? 
I didn't think I was qualified. I, I, I didn't think they'd, they'd want me. I said, why? And, and I heard the same voice say, because I want to bless you and I want to do something great. God was speaking to me, giving me the confidence that, that when they offered the job, I was to step into it. Because God wanted to do something in my life, but bigger than that, God wanted to do something incredible here. So I recognized the weight of that voice. I said, okay, we'll leave Huntington Beach and we'll come to the tundra. Because <laughs> God, I think you're in this. And my wife felt the same sense of weight and authority from the Lord. And so, so 13 years ago, uh, we, we moved here. And God was true to his word. We've been blessed beyond anything we could imagine. And God has and is and is going to continue to do something spectacular in this church. Not because of us. It's 140 years old. And God has this incredible plan for Central Church that we're beginning to see come into fruition. And when, when I'm gone, it's, it's going to continue because God wants to do something amazing here. And he's just allowing us to be a part of it. Isn't that great? We just get to be a part of something that God's doing. But that voice that came to say, hey, they're, they're going to offer it to you, and I want you to take it because I want to work. That's what I want to do. I believe God wants to speak to each of you in that same intimate way with his voice to guide the decisions of your life. Think about these questions as we close. Where does the Bible say that God no longer speaks to people? If you can find that verse for me, please, please share it with me because I haven't found that one yet. If God is conversational by nature, why aren't you hearing his voice? Are you shutting out the noises in order to listen to the whisper? For what issue are you asking, <clears throat> what does God want me to do? And are you ready today to start the adventure of hearing the voice of God? Let's stand. I'm going to pray and close this out. And I want to just share that um, these three books have helped me in my journey of, of learning to, to, to hear God's voice. Uh, Henry and Richard Blackaby, Hearing God's Voice. Uh, Mark Batterson, I've referenced these books, Mark Batterson's book, Whisper, and Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God. I'm going to set these up here, and, and you can come up here and just take a picture of them. So if you want to purchase those, don't steal them, because God will never speak something to you that's contrary to his word. He would never be telling you to take those books, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you this morning that you are a, a conversational God. Jesus, that you walked this earth for 33 years strictly under the influence of the Father and the Spirit so that we could do it too. So Lord, help us to train our ears to lean in to the whisper of God this week, uh, to, to walk in a way that expects our Father, our husband, and our shepherd to speak. In Jesus' name, amen.